Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com, who are also producers of EWTN's Living Right with Dr. Ray Garendi. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And as this new year is still unfolding, I'd like to kind of get it off or to continue to get it off to a good start and one of the best ways is with the spirit of gratitude. So I do want to send out a thank you from all of us here at Light of the East for those of you who have listened to us so faithfully and in particular a couple of people. As always, Charles Cook from Saginaw, Michigan, who really is one that got it all started for us years ago here at Light of the East. And also certain people like John Wagoner from Knoxville, Tennessee. John, I want to thank you for being such a faithful fan here of Light of the East. And all of you, especially out in the West Coast, and all of you in the Canton, Akron, Cleveland area listening on Living Bread Radio, I want to say thank you and hello to all of you. All of you in my hometown area of Cleveland, Ohio, though I now have been a resident of Chicago area for a number of years now. Cleveland, of course, was and is my, my original home, my uh, kind of like a first love, as it were. So hello to all of you and thank you to all of you, especially for your prayerful support and also for listening, just tuning in to us and passing the word. We appreciate your responses, your emails, your messages to us, which are always positive, or they may be suggestive or instructional, which is always great as well. So we do love hearing from you. So please uh, let us know. And again, thank you for listening and hope you continue to tune in and tell a friend about it. What we do here is we promote the gifts of the Eastern churches, how the Eastern churches, especially Eastern Catholic churches, are a gift to the whole world and to the church itself. But in doing so, we also invariably, inevitably, in a complimentary way, come across the gifts of the Western Church. So it's very complimentary. You really can't talk about one without talking about the other, though primarily we talk about the Eastern Churches here. It's kind of like talking about the human race. You can't talk about the human race by just talking about men or just talking about women. You have to talk about one in relation to the other. You may focus on one more than the other, but it's always in relation to. It's the same thing with the Church. The two lungs of the Church cannot be understood fully unless they are understood in this complementary way. And that's what we try to do here in Light of the East. First and foremost, as I mentioned, we focus on the riches of the Eastern Church. But in doing so, we also discover and we see ourselves in complement, in a sense, contrast to the riches of the Western Church. And speaking of the riches of the Western Church, what are the riches of being an Eastern Catholic? And some may dispute this, perhaps, but really, one of the riches of being an Eastern Catholic is that we can live this magnificent, eastern, transcendent, incarnational, integrated spirituality, this eastern, Christian, liturgical, sacramental spirituality, 
with strong emphasis on monasticism and repentance and the resurrection and all the glories of Eastern Christianity, we can live that as Eastern Catholics and yet do so in full communion with our brethren in the Western lung of the church and to be aligned with the Pope of Rome. And let's face it, you know, he's kind of the guy in the church, in the world, and in the church. It's only he, as we saw with John Paul II, only he who could assemble five million people together in peace and love and harmony and prayer. It really is amazing. We do pay, of course, the correct harmony and respect to our patriarchs, the Eastern, in a sense, the Eastern popes, as it were, if you want to use that term, may not be real correct, but the Eastern churches, many of them do have their own patriarchs. Some are in communion with the Pope of Rome and some are not. Those are the ones, of course, that make up what we know as the Orthodox churches. And we pay proper homage on light of the East to those leaders as well in the Eastern Church. But there is something rather special about the Pope of Rome. I mean, let's face it. And to be aligned with that Pope, I think, is a richness of being an Eastern Catholic. And speaking of the Holy Father, he's come out with something that, to me, is very exciting. Very exciting because it's, I think it's going to coincide with a certain era that the my particular church, I think, is moving into, a kind of an era of renewal. And what he's come out with is going to be a year of faith. And in fact, just on January 5th, he sent out a communique a note for the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith with pastoral recommendations for the year of faith. And it says this, and this, again, you can go to catholic.va news, the Catholic Vatican website for this information. But I'll read from you from the communique sent out on January 5th about this year of faith. With his apostolic letter, Porta Fide, of 11th October 20th, Benedict XVI declared a year of faith. It would begin on 11th of October 2012, the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Vatican Council, that's the Second Vatican Council, and will conclude on November 24, 2013, on the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the universal king, of course, in the Western calendar. The Holy Father's aim in promulgating this year is to focus the attention of the Church on the theme which, since the beginning of his pontificate, has been closest to his heart, the encounter with Jesus Christ and the beauty of having faith in him. Now, there's a couple of things in this that excite me, especially as an Eastern Catholic. They're really relevant to us as Eastern Catholics as well. But I'm going to continue on. I'll come back to those things in a moment. But I'll continue with a few more points from this note. The note contains an introduction followed by a number of pastoral recommendations. The introductions explain that the year of faith is intended to contribute to a renewed conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the rediscovery, the rediscovery of faith, so that the members of the church will be credible and joy-filled witnesses to the risen Lord, capable of leading those many people who are seeking it to the door of faith. Now, in these recommendations, they're basically on four levels, according to this note. The universal church, the Episcopal conferences, dioceses, parishes, communities, associations, and movements. Now, the part that interests me, especially as a pastor, a priest of the Eastern Church, is the section on the parish level, because it says this. At the parish level, the focus remains on the celebration of the faith in the liturgy, especially in the Eucharist, because in the Eucharist, mystery of faith, and source of a new evangelization, the faith of the church is proclaimed, celebrated, and strengthened. It is on this foundation that other initiatives will come into being, develop, and spread, particularly those undertaken by institutes, new communities, and ecclesial movements. 
Now, this is a great, great point for me for a number of reasons. First of all, because the Byzantine Catholic Church in America, my particular church uh, in particular, the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church, or it's also called the Metropolia of Pittsburgh. See, because that's where our archepiscopal see is. In other words, the ranking prelate from my church, their Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian Church in America, the ranking prelate is to be found in Pittsburgh. In a metropolia, metropolia means like a church. It's a, it's a word used in the Eastern churches in particular. We use words like eparchy, metropolia. And what these refer to basically are territories, like regions, especially in America, because in the Eastern churches in America, our population is very spread out. And so we have to kind of govern in large territories. We don't have dense populations in most areas of America. So we use these terms like eparchy or metropolia, which happens to be referring to like regions of which a bishop is a head kind of a, of a region or of a whole church in a country. So our metropolitan archbishop, who, by the way, we're waiting, to, waiting for the appointment of a new one for our church, by the way, because our previous one had passed away over a year and a half ago. We're waiting for a new one to be appointed. And when he is appointed, he's the ranking prelate in America of the Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian Church. So he's called the metropolitan because he's the ranking prelate and archbishop over the Metropolia of Pittsburgh, which means the whole Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian Church in America. Now, hopefully that's not too complicated for you, but that's typical of Eastern terminology and Eastern Church structure. Large territories, and at the same time, we have this sort of local church ecclesiology. But about this phrase from the note today, Eucharist, mystery of faith and source of the new evangelization, the faith of the church is proclaimed, etc. One of the reasons this excites me is because not only is our church going to go through renewal in America, but that renewal is going to come out of the reservoir of our liturgical spirituality, because that's the real strength, the heart, the soul, along with monasticism of the Eastern churches. And whenever we want to do anything, we go to the reservoir of the Eucharist. And in fact, for the whole church, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our very existence. So in the communique that came out from the Pope, which is basically introducing what will be a more detailed explanation of this year of faith, the part that we're focusing on today is the part that talks about what's going to happen at the parish level. And of course, that is centered on the Eucharist, the source and summit of our existence. Now, this means that when we celebrate, participate in the Eucharist, and as we go to liturgy, as we say in the Eastern churches, in the West they would say Mass, We're not just attending something. What's happening is we are bringing to that moment all that we are as persons, our life, nature, the whole cosmos in a sense is being brought to that altar, to that meeting point of God and this world. And it's being offered up in a way that in which we ask our Lord to transform it. So we bring everything to Eucharist so it is transformed. In other words, it's elevated. Its real quality is discovered. But then we do something else as well. And we're going to talk about that when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, 
We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Mysticism, it keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian Moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. Elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane. Mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Log of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lillian, your host. We were talking before about the one dimension of Eucharist, in other words, where it is the summit of our existence. In other words, what we bring to the Eucharist. And we're talking about this in light of the Pope's upcoming year of faith that he called for, because he mentions that one of the levels that we're going to live this year of faith out on is the parish level and focusing on the Eucharist. And that's very, very relevant to us in the Eastern churches. Yes, the Eucharist is the source and the summit of our existence. So it is the source. In other words, we bring everything to Christ, to the altar. We offer it up to Christ in this sacramental view of all of creation. In other words, we see all of creation is connected with Christ. And we even bring our sorrows, our tragedies, our hurts. And we even bring to Eucharist the remembrance of those who have passed on. So even death itself is brought to the table the spiritual tables, we call it in our liturgy, and it is offered up, it's transformed, it's taken into Christ who then takes it to heaven, as it were, and transforms its meaning, sanctifies it, sacramentalizes it all. So we bring to the Eucharist that which we live. We bring nature, the cosmos, our hearts, our souls, our heartaches, our joys, our whole experience. But then Eucharist is also the source of our existence. Remember, source and summit. So it's the source of our existence, meaning the source of our existence, meaning what it does is it informs our existence. That was sort of like it comes, something comes back out from it. As we bring things to the Eucharist, the Eucharist brings to us its own vision. Yes, of course, the presence of Christ, the real presence of Christ that we unite with body and soul, but also a vision of life, a way to see all of life. The Eucharist informs us of the facts of life, as it were. 
So in the year of faith, one of the dimensions that it's going to focus on is at the parish level is Eucharist. And I think that is very, very relevant. It's going to be very seminal, very pivotal, especially for us in the Eastern churches, because we draw so much from our liturgy. Liturgy provides for us, first of all, the right vision of life, because liturgy says that all of life somehow in its own way, mysterious way, participates in God. It reveals God. Heaven has united with earth. And in fact, we even work this into the very design of our churches in the Eastern Church. That's why you see oftentimes domes and arches in Eastern churches. These motifs symbolize the fact that heaven has come down to us, has intersected with earth, as it were. Eastern churches, when fully and properly designed according to their authentic identity, will be replete with ongoing arches and domes and, and circles amidst a square, a cube. In other words, we use a lot of geometry, as it were, in our architecture and in our art. And all this communicates the message that the reality that God, heaven, has come down to earth and therefore has changed the quality of it, has made it sacramental, has made it a manifestation and participation in God. That's the fact of life. And we see that and find that resoundingly in the liturgy from the Eucharist. The other thing that Eucharist does for us, especially in Eastern churches, is that it provides for us a rhythm of life, the proper rhythm of life. Now, all this is very relevant and helpful to us in our day-to-day existence because we kind of live a rather neurotic rhythm or rather lack of rhythm of life. We sort of charge into things and then we sort of fall off a cliff. We kind of like go cold turkey in a lot of things. You see that a lot in the celebrations a lot of times of the big feast stage of the year. Obviously, the most glaring example for me is this past celebration of the Christmas season. You know, it's how we do it as a culture. And even Catholic Orthodox Christians as well get caught up into it. You sort of drive into it with a lot of intensity, then it happens, and then we sort of fall off a cliff. Well, that's a very inhuman rhythm of life. This is what causes sadness and depression, neurosis, and so on. But the liturgy, on the other hand, gives us a different rhythm. Liturgy is designed with a kind of a, think of it as like a bell curve. There's a rising action. There's a lot of preparation for it. From the time the priest puts on his vestments, he prays with each item. There's a whole rite of preparation of the gifts. There's a matin service before the liturgy. There is then the liturgy itself, which even has within itself preparatory sort of escalating moments. Then there's the climactic moment of the liturgy. Then there's a kind of the, the gentle falling action and kind of a resolution. They use this rhythm a lot of times even in storytelling, you know, kind of a rising action, climactic moment, falling action, and then resolution. And it makes for a great rhythm of the story. Well, liturgy is that way because life is that way. The rhythm of life, the way we're designed as human beings, the way all of life is designed when you really look at it, has this kind of bell curve to it. You sort of move into it, prepare for it, work up to it. There's a climactic moment, and there's kind of a sort of a moving out of it and then a kind of a resolution, and then a return back to that cycle. This is what liturgy is based upon. This is how we do, as it were, liturgy in the Eastern churches. So in other words, what happens is after liturgy, there's a lot of things that oftentimes go on, like people come forward to be anointed with holy oil. They partake of a blessed bread. They receive something that's blessed, you know, like palm branches or pussy willow branches during Palm Sunday. There's a kissing of the cross. There's something that you sort of take with you, and you walk out the door of an Eastern liturgy, and the idea is that you're taking that stuff with you. In fact, a lot of times you even smell like church because we use so much great incense. It actually gets into your clothes. 
we put oil on you, it gets fragrant. So you actually take liturgy into church. And there someone can tell, you know, you stop by Starbucks after liturgy and someone might say, sniff, sniff, gee, you must have been at a Byzantine liturgy. You smell wonderful. You smell heavenly. <laughs> a fragrant aroma ascending to heaven as we see in our prayers. And then from there, you go home and you bring into our homes what you experienced in church. In other words, the spirituality of that. The home should look like in a sense, a little church. In fact, there's a word for this from St. John Chrysostom, the 4th century saint. It's called the domestic church. So it's not like, well, well, we did church, now we go home, we just watch a football game, and we you know, fight or argue, or just change our clothes, we're just the same. No, no, no. You take what happened in church, kind of a residue of it, and you bring it into your daily life, right into your homes, into the public. As I mentioned, if you've done it right, if you really immerse yourself in Byzantine liturgy, you'll, you'll literally smell like it as you leave the church. And so our homes are supposed to resemble church in many ways. Our homes should have one particular area called an icon corner so that a family can gather there in prayer. Boy, imagine that. How's that for an original thought today? Family actually gathering together, first of all, for a meal, at least one a day, and then in a corner where there is an icon and a candle and a scripture. Before every family member leaves the house, they ought to say a prayer together. When they return, say it together. I know schedules are different today. They're kind of chaotic and wild. They shouldn't be, but they are. But still, we can build this into our family life, our daily life. We can build into our daily life, our homes, that can even look like it. We build into it what seems to be like church. It kind of looks a bit like church. It feels a little bit like church. I'm not saying that it is fully church. But it has the remnant, the residue, the flavor of church. So there's, there's this continuity between the rhythm that happens in liturgy and then that rhythm continues into our daily lives. And that's very transformative. And it's the liturgy that transforms our lives in our homes and out in public, our relational lives, our lives at work. And where does this come from? Where is the reservoir? The reservoir is the Eucharist the liturgy of the church. It informs how we live, just as Eucharist itself is informed by our living, our experience of life. It's this beautiful kind of reciprocity of things going into Eucharist and things coming from Eucharist. And liturgy provides that beautiful, very human, very natural rhythm of life. You find that you're actually healthier when you live this, when you live liturgically. That's another thing we say in the Eastern churches. It's not just going to liturgy. It's not just satisfying your obligation. Rather, it's living the liturgy. So we literally take pieces of it home with us, a residue. It's very, it's very much a part of us because we're, we're immersed in it. Now, the other thing that liturgy does and Eucharist does is it provides us with, as I mentioned, the sacramental view, which can be applied then to the human person, the correct view of the human person, that we are made the image and likeness of God. At the same time, we have sinned. Sin is a part of our, our life. It's not a part of our true identity. Our true identity always remains very, very positive. We are made in the image and likeness of God. But yet, at the same time, this image has been tarnished through sin. So, all the time, we must do repentance. Our lives are a continual, ever-ongoing state of repentance. At the same time, joy. 
because joy comes out of repentance, because repentance brings us closer to God. You know, it kind of cleanses us. It kind of opens us to the light of Christ. In the Eastern churches, especially in liturgy, as we say over and over again, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, we're continually begging for forgiveness in the liturgy, while at the same time proclaiming the greatness of God. See, it's, it's kind of a both and. There's that mystery of the Eastern churches. As we do that, we're being very honest about ourselves as human beings. And from that honesty, we live better. We live lives that are closer to God, closer to each other, more fruitful, and lives which can then transform other people, transform a nation, transform a household, transform a neighbor, transform the world. And that's really what we're all about on this earth, is to transform it into this great sacrament, this image and likeness of God. I'm so looking forward to this year of faith. We're going to talk a whole lot more about it. And I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. Oh.